Hello everyone, welcome to Take Orally. My name is uh, Jamie, one of the teaching fellows in emergency medicine. Uh, remember you can find me on Twitter at McDreamy. Um, um, this is a Take Orally special. We've got uh, a couple of special guests here. Uh, hi, it's Colin Gilhooley, one of the paediatric emergency me- medicine registrars here in Nottingham. Hi, my name's Shona. Um, I am a paediatric registrar, but I am currently out of programme working as a clinical oncology education fellow at the Children's Brain Tumor Research Centre at the University of Nottingham. And do you have a Twitter handle, Shana? I don't. Oh, no. Colin, still no Twitter handle? Still no Twitter handle, I'm afraid, James. Oh, it's a shame. Uh, and so, um, these special guests have gathered here today to discuss uh, HeadSmart, a uh, charity looking at the early diagnosis of brain tumours. Uh, Shana, would you be able to just tell us a bit about how HeadSmart came about? Mm-hmm. So, HeadSmart essentially is a national awareness campaign. Um, it addresses the signs and symptoms of brain tumours in children and it's both a public and a professional awareness campaign. So it was launched in 2011 um, and really it was because the oncologists here at Queen's Medical Centre were seeing children who had been diagnosed with brain tumours and their, and their parents and as families were coming in they were describing long delays um, in, in getting to the diagnosis, mainly because most of these symptoms are non-specific. Mm. And looking at the literature, they found that actually um, a study that they did showed that in the UK, it was taking on average three and a half months from first symptom to diagnosis, um, whereas published literature in places like Israel was taking five weeks. So clearly there was something that needed to be done to address it, and um, the team got on and developed a guideline, which they then amplified using this awareness campaign. And was it found then that the delay was both in the recognition then of the symptoms, but then also with, so for the parents' point of view, but then also with clinicians not having clear guidelines? Yes, so so the terms that we use are total diagnostic interval, which is the time from the first symptom to Mm. diagnosis. Mm. And then you've got the patient interval, Mm -hmm. which is from when they have their first symptom to when they go and see the doctor. And then you've got your system interval, which is when you've already seen the doctor to your diagnosis, or the first port of call to diagnosis. So there were delays across the board, really, and so it was trying to address that public point of view as well as educating healthcare professionals um, to, to get a quick MRI for those children that need it. And Colin, in the emergency department, is this something that you've encountered, is yeah. this querying a paediatric brain tumour? I think all of us, all of the time when we're working in the emergency department, are always scared of what we might miss, Um, especially when people present with common symptoms. Um, So things like headache, um, maybe lethargy can be quite vague, not quite sure, not sure how long they've been going on for, how significant they are. And so I think from that point of view, I've certainly seen lots of children with headache in the emergency department, Mm. and just on um, the odds if I think of every child I've seen with a headache, some of those children will have a brain tumour because that's the odds. So having a way of being able to not just make a decision based on my bias, but actually something based on good research, good systematic reviews that have been done as part of HeadSmart, um, allows me to have a stratified approach. But as well as that, it also allows me to be able to give information to parents Mm. in order that we can tell them about the worrying signs and symptoms that may develop so that they can be safety netted to make Mm. sure they come back. 
Um, and it also means that all of us are doing the same thing all of the time, which obviously reduces the chance of error and risk. So I guess, Yashana, brain tumours in children is a rare occurrence. Do you have any numbers? Yes. So we have 10 children per week diagnosed in the UK uh, with brain tumour. And actually, about 50% of those are diagnosed in the emergency department. Oh, wow. So that's five children a week that are being diagnosed in our emergency department. And, you know, you have those who are coming in with your raised intracranial pressure, your focal neurological signs, who are very quick to be scanned within the emergency department because it's clear there's something neurological going on. They may have your Cushing's triad, but actually at that point, it is almost too late. That is the end mm -hmm. stage where they have got such raised intracranial pressure that it is causing um, problems. And actually the amount of brain injury leading up to that point um, can sometimes not be uh, reversible. So visual impairment, even if the brain tumour is benign, when they take it out, they may still have visual impairment and long-term mm. disability. Mm. So our aim is really to, to pick up these symptoms earlier mm. and thinking about those children that attend the emergency department with these vague symptoms like, like Colin just mentioned, so headache, mm. nausea and vomiting, visual signs, head circumference, making sure we, we are um, measuring head circumference in children under two, um, so that we can safety net these children and ensure they get appropriate review whether it's by the GP or in rapid access clinics or hot mm. clinics, um, so that they're, they're diagnosed as early as possible. So, I mean, the guidelines for, for adults look very much at the red flag, so a new headache in an older person, focal neurology, as you talked about, signs of brain intracranial pressure as well, and, and um, so, and obviously, patients, adults can be much better at communicating what they're feeling, you know, certainly. Um, but you've given a very nice handout here, sort of breaking down the, um, the different symptoms based on the, the different ages of the patient, mm -hmm. so shall we just talk about that for a little bit? So, yeah. um, babies under five years, uh, Colin, what are we looking at there? So I think uh, for those children, uh, persistent or re recurrent vomiting. That's obviously, again, a very vague symptom because how many children under the age of five present with vomiting whenever they're unwell with any reason? I think the key things there are to point out that it's persistent and often it will be without the presence of any other illness. So the presence of persistent vomiting with no other symptoms would be unusual. Would be unusual. Mm -hmm. Okay. I think other problems would be looking at the development of the child. Mm. Out with HeadSmart, the loss of a skill for any child is always pathological. Mm -hmm. So children do not learn to do something and then forget how to do it. Okay. If they do, they have a problem. Mm -hmm. Now that doesn't matter about head smart, that's for any condition. They need, they need their head scanning. So if a child can walk and can no longer walk, there's a problem, okay? And so that would be an interesting one. And then as whether that personality and behavioral change um, that parents will pick up is a, is a good one. And another obvious one is probably seizures or fitting. Um, I think um, obviously some of those children may just have epilepsy, uh, but if it's particularly a focal seizure or no fever associated with the illness, then that's a more worrying condition. And if, in a small baby, uh, you've got to think about the head circumference as well. Um, so there are obviously centile charts for children that are produced mm. by various people, so you can find them on the RCPCH website, you can find them on the WHO website, 
so World Health Organization website, which allow you to have a look at what's normal. And it's changes in head circumference, so a rapidly expanding head crossing the centiles uh, would be what's worrying in those under fives. And so the idea is you're looking, Shana, for two or more of those features and then you need urgent urgent referral. Yes. So the guideline uh, suggests that if you have two or more, you would require an MRI scan, an urgent MRI scan. Now, there are some um, conditions where just having one would uh, warrant an MRI scan. So if you had, like we said, regression in motor skills, if you've lost a motor skill, if you've got a, a facial motor weakness that mm. is not a Bell's palsy, um, uh, if you've got um, swallowing difficulties that have got no local cause, um, or any focal neurological signs, would would you would expect to, to have an MRI scan more uh, urgently. But yes, in general, if they've got two or more symptoms, and that's why the symptom card mm -hmm. uh, that we've got, which you can find on the HeadSmart website, which is www.headsmart.org.uk, um, where it comes in really handy because it's a really quick checklist for you to, if you're seeing a child with a headache, for example, just asking all the other symptoms that are listed, mm -hmm. which are there's only seven or eight for each mm -hmm. um, age group, uh, you're quickly then identifying whether there are important negatives or indeed positives that require further action. And it seems looking at this handout, there's much the same symptoms for the children who are five to 11. I suppose by that point, their personalities are more fully developed. They can obviously verbalize better. Mm -hmm. So you may get more of a history from them as opposed to the parents and might make it a bit easier in theory. Yes, yeah. Uh, and this is where it, diagnosis of brain tumors is so difficult is that they vary on the age of their presentation. So children under five will rarely complain of headache. You know, babies in particular, because mm. their, um, their sutures are, are not yet fused, their fontanelles still open, they really accommodate to their raised intracranial pressure. So their head will just get slowly bigger and they, they may not have many symptoms other than that. Um, whereas in, in children, you will find that, like you say, in the five to 11 year olds, they might be able to tell you um, that they've got a headache um, or that their, their eyes are, are blurry or they can't see something quite uh, properly. And then in your teens, you've obviously got things like delayed or arrested puberty, mm -hmm. which you wouldn't have in your, in your younger Possibly children. Not, yeah. Um, and so the nature of the headache, Colin, what, what's the what sort of features are we looking for in that headache? If a, if a child, say, you know, early teens who can give good history, what sort of red flags are you looking for in that headache to point towards a brain tumour as opposed to, say, migraine or something else? Yeah, so I think um, having an idea of the uh, diagnostic criteria for things like migraine can be quite useful. It's not probably something we can talk about too much here, but there is uh, a paediatric classification of headaches uh, for migraine. Uh, the other thing is to remember just because someone has migraine doesn't mean they can't get a brain tumour. Mm -hmm. So a change in their normal headache would be one, and I think that's something that's true for adults as well. Yes, it is, yeah. Um, and um, I think persistence of the headache is another one. It's mm -hmm. unusual for children to have persistent headache, and I think it's lasting longer than four weeks. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so a headache for longer than four weeks uh, would be unusual. Regardless uh, of how it's described, if it's longer than four weeks. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then children often are very poor at localising pain. Um, mm. So if they're very specific about where that pain is, that would be unusual. Okay. Um, and so um, generally children will just say it's all over the front or it's all over my head. They rarely will tell you that it's one specific area. So I think that would be something that would worry me as well. Mm. 
And is it similar to adults where it's um, sort of worse in the morning, that headache, is that, yeah. that's also true? For yeah, people? absolutely. So uh, all the same things that go along with raised intracranial pressure, so worse in the morning and better when you stand up would absolutely hold true for a child as much as an, as an adult. Waking you from sleep, so that's yeah. the next one. And in, in particular in children, any child under the age of four who's complaining of a persistent headache, is, it's, it's not common and it's not usual, so there's mm. something wrong. Yeah. Um, so usually those children, straight away, even if they have no other headache, mm. no other symptoms rather, would, would warrant a, a head scan. Mm. Uh, and so, um, and you mentioned obviously delayed puberty, so anybody coming in with query delayed puberty, brain tumours are considered then as part of that whole workup, even if they're maybe seen by an endocrinologist rather than yourself, an oncologist, there's brain tumours are considered there as well. Yes, yeah, so um, in terms of the endocrine symptoms, it's probably not as common to be seen within the emergency department, yeah. more, more GPs, but we've worked together with the paediatric endocrinologist here to come up with that part of the guideline. So yeah. um, any child with a combination of growth failure, mm -hmm. delayed or arrested puberty, and polyuria, polydipsia, which would be indicative of uh, diabetes insipidus, require early specialist assessment. So whether that's by an endocrinologist, or by a general paediatrician, then, then either, um, either or. Um, and then those children who have got growth or an endocrine symptom with one or more other symptom, like mm -hmm. you said, so got two symptoms, they would require an MRI scan. Mm -hmm. um, and as part of the HeadSmart guidance, we've come up with common pitfalls where we've seen children who've had very, very long delays. Um, and so one of those is failing to, to consider central cause yeah. for those children who have got weight loss and vomiting. So um, I noticed looking then at the, the guidelines it mentions um, about abnormal eye movements or suspected loss of vision. I find that difficult enough in adults uh, sometimes. I imagine in little children it, it could be nigh on impossible. Mm -hmm. uh, I imagine that's <laughs> a common pitfall, Joanna. Yes, yes. So um, all children who come in with a headache or um, any of the symptoms listed on this card should have a full visual assessment as part of that so that you can rule out any other symptoms. So the visual assessment requires visual acuity, eye movements, pupil responses, optic disc appearance and visual fields in those under, uh, in those over five years old. Now that can be really difficult to do especially in the emergency department mm. when it's hard enough to find a quiet space, let alone a dark space, to be able to look at the back of their eyes. Let alone a fundoscopy sometimes, right? <laughs> 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 yeah. um, so I think in this instance, the important thing is, if all of us, you know, or very many of us find it really difficult to look at the back of child's eyes, if you can't see anything or you're not sure about what you've seen, you must always get someone else mm. to do it. So either whether it's referring to eye casualty or whether it's a child that's coming with headaches that has not quite got up to the four week mark, mm. it's about two weeks, you're not quite sure, but you say, actually, on your way home, can you please get your child looked, um, booked into the opticians yeah. so they can have a full visual assessment? Yeah. And just ensuring that that is something that will take place yeah. and has been arranged um, is probably the, the key point. You're nodding along there, Colin, something you agree with then? Yeah, absolutely, I think we're very lucky uh, here uh, in, a, in a large uh, university teaching hospital mm. that we've got a very large eye casualty that can provide us with a good service yeah so it's something that we're very lucky that we're able to do but I think what Shana raises is a good point is that actually there are opticians out there 
and having your child's vision checked regularly is probably something that should be done anyway uh, and they will be happy to do it so I think there's always a ways around these things so don't think oh I don't have an eye casualty that can see small children yeah opticians can how confident are you with examining I think um, young children's eyes I think it's very hard uh, in those younger than the teenage years. Yeah. I think uh, over fives are probably a little bit easier than under fives, obviously. Mm. Um, part of that is that you can have a long, logical conversation with them and explain to them exactly what's going to happen. Um, but it's hard. It is challenging. Mm. Uh, and I think in terms of it, there's two choices when something's difficult. You can either do it a lot and try and get better at it, or you can not do it. And I'd encourage everyone to do it a lot so they get better at it. Yeah. Uh, and it's always a situation where even if you're not sure of your findings you can send them to someone yeah. um, and then they can tell you what they are and then you can correlate what you thought you saw with what's actually there mm. and actually maybe get better at it and I suppose there's the idea that you have a lot of insight into what you are good at and if you feel Correct. that I can't see anything but there's yes. a caveat I'm an emergency medic physician I'm not an ophthalmologist Correct. Yes. Tell mum and dad that caveat safety net them, and like you said, either optician or ICAS, make sure somebody who is much more subspecialised can do that for you yeah. mm -hmm. and correlate that. Excellent. Uh, I suppose, Charlotte, uh, is there must be children whose siblings have, may have had brain tumours, or maybe some of the family. Do you see that family um, history element to this as well? Yes, so the family history is really, really important, and actually. As Colin mentioned earlier, this guideline is based on a systematic review, a meta-analysis. It is um, evidence-based and it's been accredited by NICE. Um, so it, it brings together a lot of high-quality information and we have found that there are really common predisposing factors that need to be asked about and things that actually surprised me when I started doing this work. So things like if there's a personal family history of a brain tumour, sarcoma, leukaemia, or early onset breast cancer, that gives you a risk factor for developing a brain tumour in the okay. family. Things like neurofibromatosis in the family, tuberous sclerosis in the family, um, and other familial genetic syndromes. So just asking if there, if there are any other genetic syndromes that run in the family. And now these children would all have a lower threshold for scanning. Mm. So if they had come in with one symptom and they've got a personal history of early onset breast cancer in the family, they would actually require an MRI scan which when I first started was actually quite surprising to yeah. me because it's not mm. you know, not questions that you would normally ask. I wouldn't normally ask if anyone had a family history of sarcoma. Yeah. Um, but actually this is where um, the guideline really is, is helpful and there's this, what we're looking at is the uh, quick reference poster yeah. which is also on the website which is easy to print out um, and has all the information that you need mm. on an A3 sheet. Excellent. And so um, you mentioned, so if we're in the emergency department, if we're the GP and we're seeing the, this, this patient, you mentioned MRI, so that, that's an urgent referral within uh, four weeks, is that right? So uh, those children with high risk uh, need an urgent yeah. uh, MRI and generally, I mean I know how we work here, if you were saying the GP you would pick up the phone. Yeah. Um, you pick up the phone, you speak to the paediatrician on call and you would explain to them the symptoms and the story and they would assess whether they would like to see them today or whether they would like to see them in rapid access clinic which is a two week wait. Okay. So um, they will assess based on the history. If you're in the emergency department you would just pick up the phone to yeah. the paediatric registrar and explain the situation and actually if you can quote the HeadSmart guidance mm -hmm. you can say right as per, I've looked at the HeadSmart guidance this child has got 
nausea and vomiting and blurred vision for more than two weeks or more than three weeks um, so they need a scan it's really easy uh, to accept that patient the really important thing in the emergency department is the safety netting so these children that come in that have had one week of this yes you need to to come up with a plan of how that child is going to be reassessed and on the website there is a section for health professionals which has a decision support tool so it allows you to reassure re review or refer your patient mm. so you go on to that and it's got three different sections where you will read those sections for headache for example and it will say headache for you know more than four weeks with um, associated symptoms scan or headache for more than four weeks with no other symptoms because a headache in isolation where there hasn't been a, a progression of other symptoms because with brain tumors you can imagine as it's growing you're going to get more and more symptoms coming along so that review process is really important because every time you review them you ask them the questions on the checklist and you find out whether there have been more symptoms developing in that time um, and so it's whether you ask them to go and book an appointment with their GP so say if they've had one week of symptoms, can you go and see your GP next week yeah. to review all these symptoms? And you can say to the parents, they need to ask these questions. Mm. Or you might want to refer them, you know, put them into rapid access clinic to be reviewed um, for, their, for their symptoms. So there's two ways of, of doing it, depending on how long they've had their symptoms for. And, and Colin, is, is there any advice you have when raising the subject of the potential brain tumour with some parents, they've not thought about it, they've no family history, they brought in their child with a headache, with, and you've detected some visual problems as well, yeah. how do you go about bringing up the, the potential uh, diagnosis of brain tumour? So I think any time you're dealing with something that is potentially quite uh, a severe or, or a devastating potential diagnosis, um, we get just as scared and sometimes more scared than the parents do or the family do or the individual does. And so I think it's important from that point of view to understand that actually we need to, to put our fears to one side mm. and remember that we have a duty of candor to all of our patients and be honest with them and upfront. And actually getting this out early in the conversation and making it unequivocal is probably more important because then that allows you to have the rest of the conversation where you're explaining things properly. Mm. If you start off trying to pussyfoot around the issue and spend half your time doing that and don't actually get to them, you can confuse the parents. Uh, and so I think it's important to be upfront and honest and say, you've brought them here because they're worried. If parents bring their child to the emergency department mm. with symptoms like that, they're worried about something. Yeah. That is why 50% of brain tumours are diagnosed in the emergency department. Yeah. Because they brought them there because they're worried. Yeah. So, in, so we might not think they're worried, but they clearly are. Okay, so I think that's important to remember. So be honest, tell them what you're thinking early, and then explain it carefully. Mm. And get help from headsmart.org.uk. If you're not sure, if you don't think you've got much knowledge about this, mm. there's an education package for professionals on the website. So that website's headsmart.org.uk, uh, where you can go and improve your knowledge. Um, and um, if you've got a good knowledge in your confident in what you're saying that confidence comes across you can reassure the parents if that's what uh, you should be doing but you can certainly give them a good explanation but I think honesty and being upfront is key mm -hmm. to this situation and saying the words brain tumor and not using vague euphemisms yes absolutely absolutely and I find that sometimes just asking them 
so you've covered so what yeah, are you worried about they may say it themselves and they will say they, they've read it in the newspaper they've seen yeah. the, those children that, are, that come up in the news all the time and they will usually say I'm worried about brain tumour yeah. and you can say that's one of the things that we are going to rule out so Colin preempted me a little bit I was going to say the website so that website once again is <laughs> headsmart.org.uk yes uh, there is also a free phone um, 0808 800 0004 and there's email support at thebraintumorcharity.org. So um, finally, Shana, I suppose we've, you've put in this amazing um, charity, uh, amazing learning packages. Have you, you, you mentioned at the very beginning the, the delays that we'd uh, seen in diagnosis. Have we seen a reduction? Yes, so the whole team, obviously, it's just started off at the Children's Brain Research Centre with Professor David Walker and Sophie Will and at the start, like I said, the median time to diagnosis was 3.3 months in 2006 and since the introduction of the guideline and then the application of HeadSmart, it is now at 6.5 weeks. So we have more than halved it, which we're really, really happy about. The aim is four weeks, so the Department of Health, the latest cancer strategy is um, that all cancers, adults and children, will be diagnosed within four weeks um, and that's our aim really. Um, and the next step is um, putting together a new awareness campaign uh, for all the other uh, cancers in childhood um, which will be called Body Smart okay. and that is in the pipeline uh, but so watch this take space. some years to develop. Yeah. Okay. You must be very proud, it's brilliant, uh, brilliant campaign. Uh, Thank you very much for coming, Shana. Thank you. Thank you very much for coming, Colin. A pleasure. Get onto Twitter. Get started on hashtag. I'm surprised you're not on Twitter. Uh, no, I've just never quite got there. Soon. Soon. Okay. When you become a consultant. Yes. Get make sure you're on Twitter. A PZD consultant. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> Professor in pediatric emergency. <laughs> thank you so much, guys. Cheers. Thank you. Uh, thanks for listening, guys. Bye bye. That was the Take Orally Head Smart Special Podcast. Uh, a reminder that uh, HeadSmart campaign was founded by the Children's Brain Tumour Research Centre and Brain Tumour Charity. For more information, you can visit headsmart.org.uk, free phone uh, 0808-800-0004, or email support at thebraintumourcharity.org. For more information on research and education opportunities within emergency medicine, acute medicine and major trauma, remember you can find NUH Dream on both Facebook and Twitter.